ahead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh God, amen. So Maggie didn't specify how long I would talk for, so maybe the vote would have changed if I had said it was going to be longer than 20 minutes, but I will try and keep it short. Um, we're taking a break. I go verse by verse, but I'm only going to cover the first 11 verses. Um, I really like this, um, this, this particular book in the Bible because... Um, it's kind of the timeline. It's about when what what Saint Peter was at the stage that he was at in his life. So as we know, it's written by Saint Peter, and it was written to the people of Asia Minor, which is considered modern day Turkey. Um, the thing about this book is, even though authorship is, is generally considered to be Saint Peter's, so we're going to assume it's Saint Peter. Um, he talks about it in verse fourteen. He says that he's about to put off his pants. Um, what does that mean? Who knows what that means? He's going to die. Okay, very good. Um, so this, if you if you think about the perspective of St. Peter, and if you read this, this chapter all the way through, he is urging his people to follow a roadmap that he's going to set out. He's going to tell his people and remind them and exhort them on how to live a Christian life. So that's what I really like about this book. It's very simple to read, but there's a lot of depth coming from one of the apostles, and he is basically laying out the important things for them to know, um, in their life and exhorting them to follow it. And since it's near his death, he even talks about in this book that he's going to remind them even after his death about these, this way of living your life. So this is what this is to St. Peter, the most important principles of a Christian life. And it's kind of important for us to read this over and over again. Um, what is tent? Why, why tent? Why does he call this tent? He says he's going to put off his tent. Any guesses? Traveling. Hmm? Traveling. traveling. Okay, very good. So traveling implies that he is, he doesn't have a permanent home, right? He's implying that all of us are intense. Like our bodies are not our permanent bodies. And in the liturgy, we say sojourners, right? We say that we are actually traveling through this life. So the tent is not a permanent home. It's something that we're going to take off eventually and go to heaven. And it's kind of a mindset that maybe we can all maintain is to think of our bodies as our tent, something that we've eventually taken off and it's not permanent. It is kind of this temporary life that we're living in now. So what does he talk about in this letter? Um, at the beginning, he reminds and encourages the believers to be diligent and never stop growing in faith. Okay, this is really the, the whole part of chapter one in this book is he's reminding the believers to be diligent. And we'll talk about that later on and never stop growing. A very important concept in this first chapter. He offers the people eight steps on how to live a Christian life. And we'll go through each step tonight and talk about each one and how they're linked together. And finally, in the, the follow up chapters and later on in this chapter, he is warning them against false teachers. A very poignant thing for us these days. Because as you know, we are bombarded with false teachings. We have false teachers who maybe are right next door. Um, and so it's something, and with the internet, obviously it's the propagation of false teachers is, is something that is um, very common nowadays. So St. Peter's warning us against that. So we're just gonna cover the first 11 verses of this chapter. Um, who has, do we have Bibles or Coptic readers since I'm not gonna have it, I'm not gonna have all the verses up, we'll just read it. Verse by verse, if you want to follow your Bible, you can do that. So I will start. Okay, so 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 
St. Peter says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained, obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, grace and peace. What is it about grace and peace? We read about grace and peace in multiple letters. It is the classic apostolic greeting. All the apostles kind of use grace and peace or a version of grace and peace. Why do they use grace and peace? St. Paul uses it in most of his epistles. That's how he introduces himself and he offers grace and peace to the people. These two things are really the foundations of our faith. We all know about grace. We cannot do anything with grace. So grace, huh? Go ahead. Given freely. It's given freely, right? But what is grace? Kindness and patience. Kindness and patience, yeah. That's kind of like an outcome of grace. Who's going to get to give it freely? Gift given freely. But what is actually grace? It's like giving the understanding of forgiveness. Right. That's true. So it's kind of. It kind of leads to that, but grace is, not, is, is a gift from God. Like you said, it's divine power working in us. Grace is basically the Holy Spirit working in us. Okay, so it's like divine power, if you want to call it that. And it's what we need to sustain our lives, especially our Christian lives. So we all need grace. Actually, everything is done through grace. 99.99% of things we can accomplish is done by grace. The rest is us, right? Because we in orthodoxy, we have this... There's grace, and then there's our works, okay? And grace is from God, his work, and the rest is us. There's other beliefs that, you know, we are kind of, what do you want to call that we are basically useless, effectively. That's kind of like a little bit of a Protestant teaching, that everything is about grace. It's kind of like an Augustinian, St. Augustine kind of believed this, that we are without any type, we are just totally broken, and everything is on grace. Well, in Orthodoxy, we believe that there's a co-working, that we are working and God is working, of course, most of the work is God. Um, so that's kind of where the grace comes in. And then peace. Peace is not the peace that I'm talking about where, you know, I'm, I have a good job, everything is stable, you know, everyone is healthy. That's not the peace we're talking about. We're talking about the peace that Christ himself left us. He said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, right? And that is the peace that no matter what is happening outside, that we have internal peace. And these are kind of the two pillars of things that we need to sustain our lives, grace and peace. Um, and that's why all the apostles tend to use it, and that's how they greet each other, by saying grace and peace. St. John Chrysostom, who was one of the fathers in the 4th century, I believe, said, Peace is the mother of all good things and the foundation of our joy. Without peace, everything is useless. And again, it's not external peace, it's internal peace, and it's something that comes by grace and other factors. But that's the kind of thing that we need to support our spiritual lives. So yeah, the second half of this verse is kind of what, let's read verse 2 and 3 again um, and, and focus on the words. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. What do you guys notice about this? I just gave it away. But what does he mention twice in verse 2 and 3? He mentions the same thing twice. Did you guys need to read? No one has their Bibles. Let me read it again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He, met, he mentioned something twice. Knowledge. Very good. Very good. Thank you. So knowledge. And he... 
I'll actually pull up the verses. I have them written down. He says, grace and peace will be multiplied to you through knowledge, and his divine power that pertains to life and godliness is through knowledge. What do we mean by knowledge? When he's saying knowledge, what is he talking about, St. Peter? It's obviously very important. He mentioned it twice in two verses. And he says that we get peace and grace, which we said what? Those are the two pillars. And he also says we get divine power, which we said is effectively grace, right? And he's saying that we get it through the knowledge of him, obviously God. So why, what is knowledge? The faster we answer, the faster we get Very good. Yeah. So knowledge is not knowing stuff about God, but knowledge is like Marianne said, is knowing God, having a relationship with God. And in our Orthodox faith, this is everything. I know like a lot of propagation of Christian beliefs now, it talks about being saved. We talk a lot about salvation. Well, salvation, the Orthodox understanding, is not this moment where I believe in God. Salvation, the Orthodox understanding is a journey through your life where you are becoming unified with God, when you're becoming closer in your relationship with God, when you're becoming sanctified. We use the word sanctified a lot. Other religions, like the Eastern Church, will use things like calling it theosis, where you become like God, okay? Like God in the way he is, his love, his mercy. But in our understanding, we're sanctified. Our life is about being sanctified. Um, and this comes through the knowledge and being united with God. Um, so, like I said, it's not knowing stuff about God, but knowing God. And knowing God is unity with God. So, as we get a relationship with God, we become more and more unified with him. St. Peter says, and we read in verse 4, he says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And this verse in our understanding, when you say partakers of the divine nature, we're not talking about becoming God, we're not talking about being in his essence, but we're talking about being like God. We're talking about being like him in our love, in our mercy, in our compassion, in our kindness. Like Adam said, all those things come from having a relationship. I have a few verses, I'm just to like stress this point. That's throughout the scripture, it talks about this idea of knowing God. Okay, so I'm just going to go through them quickly. In Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, it says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Jeremiah 9. So this is what God wants from us, to understand that he, we understand and know him. If we go to John chapter 17, it says, And this is eternal life, that you may, they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Again, that's the link between eternal life. This is how we are saved, effectively, is what our Lord is saying. If we go to the next one, it says in Philippians, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is St. Paul. He's saying, I will lose everything just to know God, know him. And finally, St. Anthony the Great, 
you know, the father of the monks says, the most grievous loss and the greatest disaster is for a person not to know God. So this is the common. And like, if you look at the creation story, the creation story, Adam and Eve were doing what? They were communing with God. They were living with God. Okay, and that's how God created us, to live with him. So that's, that's why this is the purpose of our life, to get that back to that point. Right, to restore the image that was lost in us. Restore and be like him, so that we can again be in union with God. Okay? Any questions? Questions or thoughts? Okay. This next slide is going to look daunting. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of them. But growing in our knowledge of God. Okay? And the reason I want to just quickly stop on this is because this is really important. This is basically what we need to focus on in our life. Okay? And I've listed eight things here. Um... And I'm going to combine them and talk about a few of them. The first one is the greatness of God and recognizing my own smallness. The other one is the mercy of God, holy communion, suffering, prayer, scripture, and I have a reason and I have a question mark because we'll talk about that one in a second. First one I'll talk about is the greatness of God and my smallness. When, when it comes to knowing God, this is a very important step. Sometimes we bring God down to our level. Right? Sometimes we consider God kind of like human, and it's kind of natural. I feel like I do that plenty of times. Maybe we question the power of God, maybe we question him. Actually, in the early church, this was a, the whole greatness of God was something that was very important. And actually, a lot of heresies came from this concept of God being pontocrator, being like almighty, being great, being trans, like not transcendent. Like you, God is above everything. So they had a hard time imagining how God and humanity kind of, you know, came together, right? So it was a lot of, there's some heresies that came out of this issue of the greatness of God. Whereas nowadays, I think maybe it's the opposite. We, we bring God down to our level. And it's very hard to imagine the greatness of God. But it's so important in our, in our relationship with him to have that idea of who he is. Um, in the Liturgy of St. Gregory, it's very beautiful. If you, if you listen to it online, there's some wonderful recordings of it. And... It talks about this. He, he, he reflects on it. And maybe something we have, though, beginning, everlasting, timeless, immeasurable, incomprehensible, unchangeable, creator of all, savior of everyone. You are he whom the angels praise and the archangels worship. You are he whom the principalities bless and to whom the dominions cry. You are he whose glory the authorities declare. You are he unto whom thrones send up honor. Thousands of thousands stand before you, and ten thousands times ten, ten thousands offer you service. You are he whom the invisible bless and the visible worship. This is part of the anaphora where we're doing before we're going to take communion. So it's a wonderful reflection. If you, if you take it offline and you think about this, and you sit with yourself and you imagine, you think about who God is. And this is perfectly describing him. In our orthodoxy, um, we have a thing called apophatic theology, where we, we, we try, you know, you can't describe God. It's like a negative theology, right? And that's why you read words like ineffable, invisible, infinite, or unsearchable, immeasurable. Like, you can't describe God, so you kind of use a negative theology to describe him, as opposed to saying a positive thing about God, like God is love. We know God is love, because it tells us in the scripture. But in orthodoxy, we kind of... Say, you know what, I, don't, I can't know God. I'm a human. I'm limited on what I can know. So we use this kind of negative theology to describe him. And that's why you see you know, certain things like um, unsearchable, unknowable. 
In Luke 1, so now we talked about the greatness of God. Now when we look at the smallness and we read Luke 1, it says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Who knows who said that? Very good. Very good. So St. Mary, who is the greatest out of all of us, right? She said this, knowing that she knew the greatness of God. She knew the mercy of God. And, and St. Mary, out of all of us, knows God the closest. She was the closest to him. So you can understand from her perspective how she understood who God was. The next one is I want to talk about is Holy Communion. So when we come to the liturgy, I know we do it a lot. And sometimes maybe it's hard to reflect on this. But we are truly, when we take the, of the body and blood, we are being united, right? We have this concept in orthodoxy of partake, our sacraments are physical. We're in confession, we're sitting in front of the priest. In liturgy, we're actually taking of the body and blood. You know, there's this idea of physical baptism. We're being buried in the waters and then we're being raised up, right? So it's the same thing when we take the body and blood. It's not just something we're doing haphazardly. It's not just a symbol. But as you read from St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who's in the 4th century saint, he says, when Christ's body and blood become the tissue of our members, we become Christ's bearers and partakers of the divine nature. The same language as Peter and Peter, partakers of the divine nature. So when you take um, haphazardly, but we have to really prepare to receive it because we are truly receiving Christ and becoming like him and knowing him because we are being unified with him, right? We're receiving him, so we're becoming unified with him. In John 6, our Lord says, then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So life is Christ. Christ is life. And when we take him, we have life. We are becoming unified with God. And that is part of the step of knowing him. So the third one I want to talk about is the mercy of God and the sacrament of repentance and confession. Okay, so why is this one so important? There's kind of two aspects. There's the sacramental aspect, and then there's the aspect of the practical aspect. Um, St. Anthony the Great, once again, he says, One who knows oneself knows God, and one who knows God is worthy to worship him as is right. Therefore, my beloveds in the Lord, know yourselves. If you know yourself, you know God. And what does that mean? Know yourself, know your weakness, know how, I guess, how much you rely on God. Right? It's a very important thing in terms of um, knowing God. Because when you know, so there's two things, right? The sacrament, the first thing about the sacrament is it's the same thing as communion. When you take a, when you confess to a, a priest, you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You're actually physically being changed. Not spiritually, not physically from the outside, but you are being changed by the Holy Spirit working in you. Right? So that's one thing that's happening. You're being sanctified. You're being united with God. And the second thing is you become aware of the mercy of God. You become aware of how God is so merciful to us in our weakness. And that's why it's so important to know yourself. Because if you know yourself and you know your weakness and then you approach God, you equally become aware of his mercy. Right? And then you start to know him. You start to know him. You start to realize and you start to get closer to him because you understand the mercy of God. The next one is suffering, and obviously suffering is a very difficult thing for anyone. So I want to bring up probably the person who suffered the most in the Bible, and it's Job. Right? Job went through lots of suffering, right? He lost his family, he lost his health, he lost everything. Um, and this is the very last chapter of Job, 42. This is Job responding after all the suffering that happened in his life. He says, I have heard of you 
by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Right? So what does that mean? That means he knew, like we know, we come, we, we know of God, right? But if we reach that point of being able to see him, and not with physical eyes, but see him with our hearts, see him with our spirits, see him and be unified with him. Job, after all his suffering, what did he have left? He was basically laid bare, right? He had nothing left except to know God, right? And that's kind of where suffering can lead us. It can lead us to know God on a level that maybe we cannot know with all the good things. It's a very easy thing to say, of course, but this is the promise that God has kind of given to us. There was a saint in uh, in Greece. His name was Saint Paisius. He he passed away maybe 30, 40 years ago. He was a very ascetic person. Like he lived a very ascetic by himself for years, and he was a holy, holy man. And then he suffered from cancer, like late in his life. I think he was maybe two or three months. He had cancer, and he said, this is all secondhand, but it's from a saint, okay? He says that in those three months of being sick, he learned more about God in his 40 years in the desert. So you can take it maybe from him and from Job. So the second last one is prayer and scripture. Now we're obviously all here. We are here for Bible study, even though I'm kind of going off on a tangent. But we're here for Bible study, and we come and we learn about Scripture. And there's two ways to approach the Bible, right? We can approach it like we are taking in information and we're learning lots of stuff, right? Which is very good. It's good to know stuff and it's good to learn. But if we leave and then we kind of don't apply it or we don't think about, you know, the real important way to read the Bible is to put myself in the story. Ask, what is God talking to? What is God saying to me personally, right? The Scripture is really, as some people say, a love letter from God. Um, so we have to kind of, when we come to do Bible study, when we're reading the Bible at home, we have to think, what is God telling me and how am I going to apply this to my life? Because it is between us. Like when we're praying, we're communing with God. We may not be speaking, but we're in the presence of God. And when we're reading the scripture, we are hearing what God is telling us, right? So there's the relationship that leads us to a closer understanding and relationship with God. Through scripture, we learn about the incarnate logos, God himself in the form of Jesus Christ. So, of course, we have grace. We have grace coming through different vessels like the sacraments. But also God gave us himself in a human form so that we could see him, that we could talk to him, that we could hear his voice. Obviously, before that, we had never heard God. We had never seen God. But now with Jesus Christ, incarnate Logos, we can actually hear what God wants to tell us. And um, we do that through the Holy Scriptures. So what do you think? Can we know God through reason? Can we reason, reason our way to knowing who God is? Yeah. yeah. Because if you can reason your way to God, like you can reason your way out as well. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So you can reason, if you can reason your way to God, you can reason your way out. Any other comments on reason? This is very, this is not like something, obviously Western, kind of Western movements have led to like reason as a, a way to know God. And a lot of people, like I think Thomas Aquinas kind of has that reason um, flavor. Anyone else have a comment on reason? Can you reason your way? Can you re is reason helpful at all? I, mean, I think you can reason to know God exists. Mm -hmm. so I think in Romans it says in nature you can see God's fingerprints basically. Yeah. But I don't know that you can, because of that, you'll have a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, reason helps you to know God more. 
it's like a friend. If you don't know the more that you know them, the more that you love them. Right. So, so it does help you to kind of. Reason is important to certain people. Right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Like even like. It's still really important because even in Isaiah, like God said, telling the, the people, come let us reason. Come let us reason. Yeah. So like that's probably like reasoning how, like reasoning like a, how there is a relationship, but not, but not his existence. Yeah, right. And, and God gave us a mind too, right? It's not like a mind that we're just robots. Yeah, we're we're in His image, so Moses um, himself reasoned with God that's true yeah very good so definitely reason plays a role right obviously Abraham, it's okay <laughs> um but definitely reason plays a role god gives us our mind and our mind leads us to an understanding of god and like Nagy said one of the most obvious ways is creation right when we reasonably look at the world and how organized it is and how it came into this very organized out of chaos it became you know out of nothing it became this organized thing and it's an amazing thing if you look at it closely we can reasonably assume that someone did something, right? You know, you can see a, you know, a very nice car, and you can say, well, that car exists, that means someone else must exist who made that car, and they must be really good at their job, right? It's the same thing with God. I mean, you see creation, you can reasonably assume that someone very intelligent did that, right? Um, but, but reason can't get you all the way there, right? Reason, like Nagy said, reason can get you to kind of know that God exists and maybe get into a... You know, closer relationship with him, but at some point, you have to kind of have that faith. Because what is it about reason? Reason is, God is not reason, he is beyond reason, right? We're human. If we were able to reason ourselves to God, and then God is not, God is not, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Not unknowable. He's not unsearchable. God is down to our level, right? He becomes, no longer becomes God, if you can reason your way. If a human can understand God, then he's no longer God. It's like a child cannot understand maybe their parents, right? Because they're not at the level of their parents, right? So they can't reason their way as a child to knowing exactly everything about um, their God. I actually really love this quote. I read it in the book, Knowing God, Life's Highest Purpose and Joy. It says, ultimately, reason prostrates, prostrates itself before the radically ungraspable grasp, God. For mere words cannot possibly describe the indescribable. <laughs> Okay, so again, words cannot describe God, obviously. Scripture helps us get there, but even Scripture is limited on what we can know about God, right? Okay, I think that's the last one I want to talk about. I want to quickly go through the, the eight steps. I know everyone's probably hungry. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to read verses 5 to um, 7, and then we'll talk about them quickly. So it says... But also for this very reason. So now he said that it's important for us to know God. Verse 5, he says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Okay, so he lists eight things there. So we're going to talk about, before we do, he said, I want to just check in verse 5, he says, Giving all diligence adds to your faith virtue. And St. Peter, again, in the, in, the, in the tone of this whole letter, he is urging people. He's reminding them. And he's using words that are very powerful. And he used the word diligence. Diligence, if you look up, what is another word for diligence? It's like, it's like be very careful. Like be careful with 
your faith. Be careful with your life. And I was trying to think of like a good example about like what are ways to be diligent, what are the ways to be careful. And you, I imagine if you if we are sick, you know, if we have um, whether it's a serious illness or something very like the flu, you know, people have like we have pill boxes, we set timers to take our medicine. Like we're very attentive when it comes to our physical health, right? And we are very diligent in taking care of ourselves, and we're very careful in taking care of ourselves for good reason. But are we similar with our spiritual lives? Are we very careful? Is it like this fragile thing that we are trying to, you know, diligently take care of, right? And I, and I reflect on my life and I think, no, I don't take care of my spiritual life the way that maybe St. Peter is urging us to do um, carefully and with all diligence. So he, said, he starts by saying, add to your faith virtue. So the first thing is faith. And we all know Faith is the beginning of our Christian life, right? In Orthodoxy, our faith starts with our baptism, right? We, we, we are baptized. We have this declaration of faith and is the foundation of everything. Um, Hilary of Arles, I think, it says, Peter is telling us that we should not be content with our baptism, but should go on and grow in faith. So very simply, faith is the beginning of everything. The belief in God is the start. And then he says, add to your faith virtue. So what is virtue? If you, what is when he says add to your faith virtue? What do you think he's saying? What is virtue? Fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit. Okay, which is practically speaking. I mean, virtues. They're they're actions. Very good. Very good. And what's the famous verse in John that Orthodox, uh, James, that Orthodox love to, we love to say, faith without works is dead. Very good. Faith without works is dead. Okay? So we must add works to our faith. This, this by the way, 2 Peter is very Orthodox in his understanding. He's saying you have to add works to your faith. And remember, this is talking about growth, right? So he's telling us how to proceed in our life. He doesn't just say, stop at faith, you're good, you're saved, right? He's telling us now you have to work. Now you have to add virtues. Now you have to be humble. Now you have to be merciful. Now you have to help out people, right? So you're adding works to that faith that you've declared in the very first step, baptism. Okay, after virtue. So I'm doing all these very good things. I'm helping people. I'm serving the church. I'm, you know, this amazing you know, deacon, whatever. Why is knowledge coming? Why is he specifically calling out knowledge? Any guesses? Something happens to a virtue if you don't have discernment or don't have knowledge. Hmm? What, what does a virtue turn into? Vice. Very good. You can, a virtue, good things could turn into vices or bad things if you don't have discernment, if you don't have knowledge. Right? Hmm? Wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom, right? So I'm doing a lot of good things. I am very proud of myself. Then it starts to turn into pride. I start to think maybe I'm doing it myself, right? Then I don't say, well, it's because of the grace of God. No, I'm doing it, and I become proud. And that's actually much worse than the opposite, right? When I become proud, when I start to think of myself as the person who's carrying all those things, I don't have the discernment to understand that all these good things are coming from God, right? So we don't want to end up like that because pride, God, it says God rejects the, God rejects the pride, or God rejects the proud, because when I have pride, I don't think I need God. 
Right? So we have to be careful when we start to attain virtue and good works. He's telling us you have to grow in knowledge. And we just spent a few minutes talking about many different ways to grow in knowledge. After knowledge, he talks about self-control. This is something like we do all the time. What are things we do for self-control in our church? What are some things the church teaches? Fast. Very good. That's the most obvious one, right? So now I have all this knowledge. I'm starting to grow in knowledge. And again, I could get puffed up. St. Paul warns us against getting puffed up in our knowledge, right? So we practice these things like fasting because it, you know, like St. Paul says, we discipline our, our body. We bring it into subjection, knowing that we are weak, right? And again, we rely on God in all things. I think I have the verse here. So it says in 1 Corinthians, he says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself shall become disqualified. Um, so St. Paul who says this, right? He's preaching all the time. He's teaching people. And to counteract that, to make sure he doesn't get puffed up in all this preaching that he's doing, he says he brings his body into subjection. And that's kind of what we do. We, one of the things we do is fast, right? We fast because we want to discipline ourselves, bring our bodies into subjection. But if we have all this self-control, then becomes the thing after he mentions, he mentions perseverance. So we have self-control, and now we're going to perseverance. Why? So I'm fasting, I'm, I'm following my prayer rule, I'm confessing. And now what? After that? Continue to the end. Very good. Right? This is like, and when it comes to like, the Christian life, this is the most important step, I feel like. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I feel like this is what it's all about, right? Perseverance. Because it's it's kind of easy to do things for a week or two. It's kind of do things, I'm going to fast for the 50 days or whatever, but then what happens, right? And the nice thing about, I think, this letter is when St. Peter's writing this down, he's telling us, this is not just a problem with you. This is not just a problem with us. This is a problem with me. I'm an apostle. That's why I know that perseverance is so important. So we're all in this. We have to all have the same issue of perseverance. You know, I fast for a little bit, but then I stop. I pray for a little bit, then I stop. But that's okay. As long as we are persevering and continuing on, we get back up, we fall back. We get fall back down, we get up. There's a saying that says, I think, what is the monastic life? And often it's quoted as, I fall down and get back up. I fall down and get back up. And I heard like a variation of it is like the Christian life is I fall I fall down, get back up, but I'm always doing it in the direction of God. Okay? So even though I fall, I'm always moving in that direction towards God. And that's the life of perseverance. So when I have self-control, I have to follow it up with perseverance. I think you mentioned that it's going to the end. And actually Christ himself tells us, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Right? He's telling us explicitly that we must endure and that we must persevere. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. Like I said, fall down, get back up. But we're always going towards God. And then he talks about godliness. So we're going now from perseverance to godliness. Perseverance is perseverance is outside stuff, right? I'm persevering in my prayer life. I'm persevering maybe in rejecting worldly things, I'm persevering in my uh, fasting, all these things, but godliness is on the inside, okay? So eventually this perseverance is turning into godliness. It's not just staying on the outside, 
It's not just things, but that's the reason we do the outside things, is to change us on the inside, and that's the godliness. So we must go from outside stuff to inside stuff, um, but perseverance is an important step in going there. And then one after godliness is brotherly kindness. Any guess why he would say brotherly kindness after godliness? And we're kind of all here, like fellowship nights. Why are we all here together? Other than the food. Why are we here? Why do we have fellowship? Nate, you're the coordinator. Why do you have fellowship? I would like other people. Strength and numbers. Holding each other accountable. Together. No one really likes to be by themselves. Yeah. Strengthen one another. Strengthen one another. I think that's like the key. And that's why St. Peter's saying that. He's saying like, you can get to maybe being godly, but... Trying to stay in that godliness state by yourself is generally like almost impossible, right? Maybe there's a few monks that can do it, but godliness requires brotherly kindness. Godliness requires us to be together. It requires us to have fellowship. It requires us to encourage one another. Um, I was talking to someone in college, and and he was kind of hinting at why do I have to, why do I necessarily have to like care about my brother like why do I have to necessarily care about you know I, I kind of have to worry about myself right but I mean that that's our role God has put us together to encourage one another we're just not in our families our families are important but also as a church as a community as people who don't even know Christ we have to encourage one another and St. Peter is saying that here that it's a foundation of growing in our relationship with Christ and finally, the pinnacle, we talk about brotherly kindness, and then he talks about, he says, and to brotherly kindness, we must add love. Okay? It's kind of an easy one. Why love? Remember what we're doing here. We're trying to get to where? We're trying to be united with God, right? We're trying to have a relationship with God. So we're going from brotherly kindness to, to love. And what is love? Who is love? God is love, right? So now we've reached the pinnacle. We started with faith, and we've gone through these steps, and now we are at love, right? So God is love. So no longer is it just being brotherly, not no longer is it just brotherly kindness. No longer is it just us together, Christians, all this stuff. It's loving our enemies, right, as Christ told us to do. Being like God, loving people who may not even love us. This is the pinnacle. This is unity with God. This is knowledge of God, and this is what we're all striving to to be it one day. In 1 John it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Again, so it's to know God you must love, and that's where we're headed. Those are the eight steps. So again, it was go we went from faith to what? Faith after faith we add virtue, works. Add to virtue we add knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge we add self-control. Self-control. Perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, we go to love. Very good. Okay, I'm only going to read a few more verses, and I'm almost done here. i got one more slide. So starting with verse 8, he's now told us how we have unity with God, how we know God. And in verse 8, he says, If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions knowledge again. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, 
For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So one thing I want to point out is he says something in verse 10. He says, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. What does that mean? What is call and election sure? Do I need to read it again? Be diligent to make your calling. He's actually telling them to make it. If you have to do these things to make sure, what? It's not up there right now. So To make your call and election sure. Okay, first of all, who's called? God's called. Who? Who's called? God calls, but who does he call? Everybody. Very good. He calls everybody. So everybody is called, everyone in this room, everyone in the world is called. Okay, so then call, make your election. What was the exact words? He says, make, make your call an election sure. What is he implying when he says make your call an election sure? Salvation? So is he saying what? He's saying possibly you could not go to heaven. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it sad. But like St. Peter's kind of telling us, like, be diligent because you have to make it sure. Like, he's urging his people, do this stuff so that you will have an opportunity to be with Christ, that you will be unified with him. He's telling you you could lose your salvation. And I'm not trying to say this to, like, bring down the room, right? One second. I'm not trying to say this to bring down the room. I'm just trying to say, like, realistically, he's telling us to be careful and be diligent, do these things to go to heaven, to be with God, to be unified with him. So we must take it very, very seriously, our faith. You're going to say? Making our election sure. Mm -hmm. um, like, if we take it by negative, like, uh, make it uh, undoubted. Like, undoubted. Like, so we can uh, not be able to like, doubt our salvation. Not doubt that God that we're, like, we can to heaven. Yeah, like, to make it, un like, not doubt that we're going to get to heaven, right? Yeah, exactly. So you make your election sure. Make your election into heaven. Sure. Okay. This is kind of a verse that's probably used against a lot of maybe Protestant beliefs because in Protestant people they believe in like a moment of salvation, right? And St. Peter's kind of saying the opposite here. He's giving us this pathway and saying, do it to be sure. Okay. Uh, one final quote I'll, I'll speak is from Bede, I think. It's a, he's like a 6th century. I think he's a, kind of like an Eastern Orthodox monk. He says, the calling of these who come to faith is certain, but those, so he's saying everyone is called, those who consistently add good works to the sacraments of faith which they have received are the ones who make their calling and election certain in the eyes of those who observe them. The opposite is also true. For those who go back to their crimes after they've been called and who die in their sins make it clear to everyone that they are damned. It's very harsh words. But in like early church, I don't think they really minced words. Like nowadays, we kind of like we're very a little bit more cautious on what we say. But here in this room, I, I wanted to just bring this up to make sure we understand that it's, we need to be careful. And, and Saint Peter here in this letter is giving us a roadmap, and we must persevere, and we must continue on, and we must struggle in our relationship with God to know Him, because then we will be with Him for eternity. Any questions or comments or thoughts? <coughs> Everyone's hungry? Okay, I mean, that's all I had. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, we can pray. Okay, we'll stand and pray.
Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for bringing us here together. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity to have fellowship one another. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful church, O oh Lord God, and those who are here. We ask, Lord, that you may bless their lives, that you may guide them, O oh Lord God, in every good thing, that you may grant them, O oh Lord God, to know you a little bit more every day, that you grant, grant us all to be unified with you, that you grant us all, Lord God, to walk with you diligently. We ask, O oh Lord, to open up our minds, O oh Lord, and make Make us understand you a little bit more. Help us, O Lord God, to understand who you are, this almighty God, this great God, but also this loving and kind God who has come down to save us and to give us an opportunity to have life with you forever. We ask you this, O Lord God, through the intercession of our Holy Mother, St. Mary, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your angels, St. the Lord, make us worshipful. Thankfully, our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive us who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. And in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.